Our text for this morning is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. This is the Word of God. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's a, it's a special day in, in the life of Emmaus Church. Uh, please be with us this morning as, as we seek to be obedient to these instructions in your word. Um, and grant us now understanding of this passage of your Holy Scripture, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, most of you know that Emmaus Church started at the end of 2011 in the living room of Keith and Rita Devlin. I don't know if any of you were there then. <laughs> maybe maybe Jeff Dames, Rocky Haig, possibly. Um, but there were a group of about 20, 25 people who wanted to start a Reformed church in Winter Garden. And, um, and this group called me to be pastor um, of this new church plant. I spent almost 20 years in the Presbyterian Church in America, um, but the PCA was not looking to start a church in Winter Garden at the time, so we had a little dilemma, uh, but we decided to, to start an independent Reformed church, and uh, Emmaus was born. Um, we needed a name, and, um, and we thought Emmaus was a great name. I don't know now in retrospect. So I, I actually had a neighbor... Uh, walking by my house yesterday and said, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> I said, Emmaus. I said, you know, so many people say Emaus or Emos. He goes, yeah, I was saying Emos. And, um, but uh, we like the name Emmaus because of what it means. You know, it's Easter Sunday. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's walking while well, two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven-mile walk. And the first thing Jesus does when he rises from the dead is go to Emmaus. He walks with those two disciples and they're all upset and downcast because the Messiah has been crucified. And then Jesus explains to them everything written about him in the Law of Moses, um, the Psalms and the Prophets. Everything written about him in the Old Testament. Um, as they walk those seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're prevented from recognizing Jesus, but when he breaks bread... Right, when they have communion together, their eyes are open and then... Um, they recognize him. So Jesus walks with us through our lives. Sometimes we don't even know he's there. Matter of fact, he's there when we least feel him present. And he's revealing himself as we walk through this world. We're not alone. So love uh, the name Emmaus and our church, of course, is centered on uh, the word of God. I mean, this, it's not our opinion. Um, our church is centered on the word of God. Uh, we had our first worship service on 12-11-11 at our old location <laughs> where we met at night in a little office park off of Highway 50 across from Maryland Fried Chicken. 
Maryland Fried Chicken was our claim to fame. We're like, where do you meet? Oh, if you stand at the chicken sign, you know, that right at the chicken sign, and you look across the street, you'll see a driveway, and then you go back in there. And uh, yeah, we met at night, and it was a little sketchy. Yeah, I must admit, I tried to put a good face on, but you know, the, the children's uh, ministry was across a dark parking lot, and so moms would be taking their kids at night across. The, uh, it was just, and uh, lo and behold, you know, the theater contacted us three years ago, and uh, here we are. Um, but at the inception of Emmaus, I put together a leadership council called the Emmaus Council. I didn't want to, you know, just go this alone. I wanted to get a group of people um, around me as a leader of this church to um, help make decisions and all of that. And the leadership council has met once per month for the past um, eight years. Uh, We've missed a a few times, but basically once a month over an eight-year period. And, uh, you know, various folks were part of that leadership council. I want to thank um, Ramsey Adams and uh, Rob Humphreys and Jeff Dames. I think they're all here this morning. They've been part of that council at various times. And um, Jeff Dames, of course, is our treasurer. So um, most of you see Jeff each week taking the offering. Well, your money's in good hands. He does a great job as the church treasurer. And of course, we all watch over his shoulders, so you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> um, but this uh, initial leadership team has, has served the church well. But uh, now it's time in the life of our church where we ordain and install elders as the Word of God instructs us to do. So it's very exciting because we're going to do that today. I mean, this is a big milestone in the life of our church where we have an official governing body that's been trained and elected and installed and all of that. So we're really, really excited about today. Um, later in this service, we will ordain and install our first class of elders, Joe Jacob, David McFarlane, and Sean Donovan. I was trying to think of an order in which to say the names of these, these men, so I went by um, order of age, <laughs> with the oldest being first. I think Joe's older than David, yeah. Joe Jacob, David McFarlane, and Sean Donovan. Sean's the young buck. Um, but listen, it's been worth the wait to get this group of, uh, of elders. I'm, I'm really, really excited. Peter talks about elders, the under-shepherds of Christ, in this passage, the passage that I read, therefore I thought it appropriate for our service this morning. So let's take a look at what, uh, at what Peter says. I have three points this morning. Peter's credentials, Peter's instructions, and Peter's promise. So Peter's credentials, instructions, and promise. Let's look at Peter's credentials. Um, he says that first, First Peter 5, 1. Um, I'll put a period at the end of this verse. Really, there's a comma, but that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll go on from here. But uh, he says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter, Peter exhorts the elders of the church. He appeals to the elders of the church as a fellow elder. Uh, presbuteros in Greek is where we get the word presbyterian or elder rule, um, or elder. Um, Presbuteros in English simply means elder. Um, Elders are are to be appointed in uh, in every church to oversee and shepherd the local church. To oversee or an overseer is uh, episkopos. Those terms, presbuteros and and episkopos, are interchangeable, overseer and um, elder. Um, some of you realize that Episcopos, that's where we get the word Episcopalian. 
Presbyteros, we get the word Presbyterian. So these words, you know, are biblical, and people form denominations based on those words. Presbyterians use that word because they believe in elder rule, that the Bible um, teaches that elders are to be the under-shepherds of Christ in the church. Um, We have a representative form of government in the United States, and that's a picture of Presbyterianism. We elect um, our leaders, and then they make decisions for us. It's the same in the church. Our government is modeled after Presbyterianism. A lot of people don't realize that, but it is. Um, Titus 1.5 says this, um, For this reason I left you in Crete, uh, Paul writing to Titus, that you would set in order what remains. You know, he's planting churches and all of that, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Elders in every city, elders in every church. This is what I want you to do. Appoint elders in every church. So we see in the early church the establishment of elders. Um, Peter is an apostle and also a fellow elder. That's what he says, right? A fellow under-shepherd of Christ. Peter is identifying here in this passage with his fellow elders. I'm an elder too, he's saying. Makes you feel good, right? You're an elder. It's like, wow, Peter the rock. Yeah, he's an elder too, and he's calling us fellow elders. Um, But he's an apostle and a fellow elder, a fellow under-shepherd of Christ, identifying with these guys. I'm an elder, and I am a witness to the suffering of Christ. I I have some clout. Uh, I'm an elder. I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Uh, I'm an apostle. I've seen the risen Christ. So, you know, Peter's a pretty big deal. I was there with him. I witnessed the sufferings. I I, I was there with him in that upper room. I refuse to wash his feet. I'm not perfect. I was there with him in Gethsemane when he was in great distress, when he was praying, let this cup pass from me, Father, when he was sweating drops of blood and and I fell asleep. I was supposed to keep watch, but I fell asleep. I'm not perfect. I was there with him when Judas betrayed him. I was there at the trial. I was there. I was there. I denied him three times. I'm not perfect. I added to his suffering. I was there. I'm a fellow elder. I witness Christ's suffering firsthand, and I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed at his return. I was restored, and I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed at his return. Wow. And so are you. I'm an apostle, a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed at his coming. Even though I failed, these are my credentials. And I have something to say to you elders, which is the second point, Peter's instructions. Verses um, 2 and 3, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
fellow elders, I have some instructions for you. I have some do's and don'ts. Shepherd the flock of God among you. You are shepherds. You're not the chief shepherd. You're not the great shepherd. You're not Christ, but you are shepherds. You are to shepherd his flock while he's gone. Remember what Christ said to Peter when he restored him? I mean, Peter, you're forgiven. Go forward. You, you know, you, you think about, I, I, I say this a lot, but I want us to understand this because I talk to a lot of people. I've been doing this for 30 years. And I know all of us have done things in our past that are bad or that we're not proud of. And so many people think that, that they can't be used because of those things. But God tells Peter, you know, you're, you're forgiven, Christ tells him, and, you know, go forward. I have great things for you to do. Don't, don't let your past paralyze you. If anybody would be in that category, it would be Peter. So this is Christ restoring Peter, and I want us to see what he says to Peter. This is John 21, 15 through 17. Peter denied Christ three times, and Christ asks Peter three times, do you love me? I don't think that's a coincidence. So here we go. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is after Christ's resurrection, um, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. That's what Jesus says to Peter and for him to do. Peter, take care of my flock while I'm gone. Joe. David, Sean, take care of my flock while I'm gone, Jesus says to you. Not under compulsion. Did you notice that? He says some negatives and then some positives. Not under compulsion. Not because you feel forced or obligated, but voluntarily. Because you want to. According to the will of God. I love that. Not under compulsion. But voluntarily, according to the will of God, you know that this is God's will. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, Paul says that in, in Philippians. You know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, but that verse goes on to verse 13, where he says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is within you willing you to work for his good pleasure in, in these areas where you're called. You ever notice that when you're called to do something by God, it's like you have to. And I mean, you want to. You're like, why do I want to do this? Of course, pastors always say, you know, you, you have to have your head examined to want to be a pastor. But you, there's nothing else you can do when you're called to this. Then he says, not for sordid gain, not for money. Well, of course, 
pastors are elders too. Pastors are teaching elders, and then those that we'll be ordaining today are ruling elders. So, you know, you could say to a pastor, not for sordid gain, not for money. Don't go into the ministry for money, but you know, some people actually do that. I think you can make a bunch of money being a pastor. No. Although I'm paid to be good, and you guys are good for nothing. It's an old pastor joke. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Be ready to serve. You can't wait to do what God has called you to do. It's just like with giving, right? With your tithing, giving 10%. Some people are like, whoa, I have to give 10%. But the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. You got to be kidding me, God. You're going to give me all this money, and all I have to do is give you 10%, bat your 10%. I get to keep 90%. Wow, that's amazing. I love it. I'll sign up for that. I mean, who wouldn't? I'm going to give you a huge pile of money. I don't know. Maybe you make over a million dollars in your life. Just give me 10%. You keep the rest. So God loves a cheerful giver, but it's God loves a cheerful giver with, with our, our treasure and our time and our talent. So it's the same here. Do it with, with, with eagerness, not for sort of game, but with eagerness. For God loves a cheerful giver. Third thing he says is not lording it over those allotted to your charge. You know, you're not on a power trip. Have you ever, oh, I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to. I mean, have you ever known an elder or a leader in the church that's on a power trip? Oh, there's nothing worse than that. I've seen it. So not lording it over those allotted to your charge. You're not on a power trip. It's the opposite, that you serve with humility. That's what he says, but proving to be examples to the flock. That passage in Philippians 2 where Paul says, consider others as more important than yourselves, have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who even though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or tenaciously held onto, but emptied himself and became, became a servant, joined himself with human nature, became a man. Can you imagine God becoming a man? That's humility. Display the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are Peter's instructions. And then the third point is Peter's promise. There's a promise tied to all of this. 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a beautiful promise. You know, and it's motivation. Um. We are promised rewards for our faithfulness, for our good works. I don't know if you realize that. Um, Our good works, they they don't merit salvation, but should be be present. And these rewards should be a motivation for us to be faithful. Ever noticed in in the book of Revelation, you know, it starts out and and John is writing to these, these seven churches, of Asian Minor, of Asia Minor, and then there's all of these things. Ah, you, you know, Jesus says, "Oh, you're weak here. You need to strengthen this, but you're strong here." And then at the end, he says to every single church, "To him who overcomes, I will give. To him who overcomes, I will give. To him who overcomes, I will give." And there are all of these incredible, incredible promises throughout those those chapters, uh, chapter two and three of the Book of Revelation. If you haven't read those lately, look at that. It'll make you happy. But um, I want to return to Peter 
impetuous Peter. He says this in in Matthew 19, uh, verses 27 through 29. Peter said to him, that's Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? (laughs) I love that. Hey, Jesus, we left everything. We're following you, man. What's in it for us? What do we get? And you would think Jesus would say, you wicked, greedy. No. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, that you who follow me in the regeneration, palingenesia, the renewal of all things, the new heavens and new earth, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious thrones, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, you're going to have a high position. And everyone, now he switches. He's talking to the apostles, and now he switches, and he says, and everyone, that's you and me, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Some translations say a hundredfold. You're going you're to receive a hundred times whatever you walk away from and, oh yeah, eternal life. There are rewards. Here, Peter says to the elders, when the chief shepherd appears, the one who left you in charge of his flock will return. He is coming back. When Christ returns, you will receive the unfading crown of glory or the unfading crown, which is glory. And there's some symbolism here. This isn't by accident that Peter uses this. Um, Athletes would participate in organized competitions in the first century, um, similar to our Olympic Games. In Corinth, they had the Isthmian Games. And what would happen is the, 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 the winner of an event would receive, or would not receive a medal, but a crown. The crown was made of a plant material and would fade would deteriorate. This was to represent the temporary nature of athletic ability. <laughs> yeah, you're a stud now, <laughs> but one day you won't be. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that uh, great? You know, oh, thank you, I won. Yeah, but it's going to fade. But Peter says the crown Jesus will give you is unfading. Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 9, writing to Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Listen to what Paul says at the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Everyone. Fight the good fight. It's worth every ounce of energy you give to the Lord's work. You know, the, the whole 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. Paul goes through that whole thing about the resurrection. 
And then he, he gets to the end and he kind of applies it. He goes, so know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection is, is coming. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever you give to the Lord, you're going to receive a hundredfold back and with it eternal life. So I'm required to preach a sermon suitable for this occasion, which hopefully I've done. I'm required to communicate the duties of the office of elder, which I just borrowed from Peter. I'm required to read the qualifications for an elder. And when I do this, Joe, David, and Sean, don't leave. Don't run. And listen, nobody is perfect, okay? Remember, we looked at Peter. Peter's an elder. You know how many times he failed. Because when we read these, and nobody would, in their right mind would think they, they could be, oh, I can be an elder. I meet those qualifications. But it's in general. Here they are. This is from Titus 1. There's, no, there's no, um, nothing on the screen for this. I'm just going to read it. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, polygamy was going on in these days, so if someone got saved who had multiple wives, they would not be able to be an officer in the church. That's what he's talking about there. The husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, that means prone to fighting, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Not done. 1 Timothy 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Only God can call you to this, trust me. As an overseer then, uh, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Well, there you have it. With that said, Joe Jacob, David McFarlane, Sean Donovan, can you please come forward? 